All right, everybody, welcome back to the Davis Fitness Method podcast. It's your boy, Stephen Davis. And today, I want to talk about five ways that your current program is failing you. Okay. So, most programs kind of follow a very specific line of thinking, and it's kind of, you know, do this squat, hinge, push, pull, carry, uh, focus on progressing the loads or progressing reps, um, which, you know, it all is, it's all good. Uh, and I'm not saying that you won't make progress. I'm just saying you aren't likely to make the most progress possible. And likely if you're somebody who is struggling with pain or injuries in the gym, like constantly kind of in and out certain things, uh, maybe you are working with a trainer and they have a good way of backing off when you feel injured. So it feels like you can still train, but you're finding yourself perpetually injured every time you reintroduce a certain exercise or you try to progress it beyond a certain point. Um, there's some telltale signs that you're being failed there. So I want to talk about the things that actually make a difference and how we can go about actually approaching that in your program and to make sure you don't actually fail. But uh, number one, is movement matching. That's what we're going to call it. Movement matching. Let's do like a little fairy dust and stuff like that. Essentially, every movement that you do has requisite joint positions um, or abilities that your joints should be able to go into. Uh, For example, your uh, tibia, which is known as your shin bone, should be able to rotate. And uh, the the knee joint should be able to flex and your hip joint should be in able to internally and externally rotate. Now, if we're lacking in any one of those areas, it's going to compromise things both up and downstream. So if we're going through and let's say, uh, we're having issues with our squat, it might not necessarily be due to the fact that you lack um, external rotation or internal rotation, um, but where your center, your ability to control your center of mass, how much weight is moving forward or how much weight is moving backward, that can ultimately play a role whether or not an exercise is a good fit for you. Much like if we took a student and they, let's say they're a five-year-old. If we throw that five-year-old, most five-year-olds, with no previous background in to what happens in the 12th grade, into the 12th grade, and start having them take physics and stuff like that, they're going to fail. <laughs> this is too advanced for them. This is too advanced knowledge. And I get it's your body. So it's like we should have a more advanced skill set because it's my body and it feels like I should know how to move it. And I know how to squat, but there's different types of squat and the execution on those lifts is going to vary. So it's important that we pay attention to when we actually start to fail or when we actually start to move in a way that isn't going to be congruent with that exercise. So if we're saying squat is vertical translation of the pelvis, meaning it's bringing the hips straight up and straight down, then, and from varying positions of the squat, we might, you know, alternate our torso angle a bit, but we're not ultimately looking for our hip to travel horizontally because that would function a bit more like a hinge. So if I'm saying 
squatting his vertical translation to the pelvis, the moment I'm starting to move through different planes in order to make that happen, it's probably not a good match. So let's say I was doing goblet squats. I'm doing a great job at staying perfectly vertical and upright. Um, and then I move to front squats and then all of a sudden my pelvis dumps forward and now I'm, I've got all this weight on my toes and I just can't get myself into the right position. Chances are there was still something to be gained at that goblet squat position before moving to that front squat. Um, and there's other things that we probably work on in order to, to create a better understanding. Um, but I'm going to just say that that is number one. Now, from an actual range of motion standpoint, so we do things at Davis Fitness Method like a palms up test. Basically, this is testing our ability to externally rotate the shoulder with a neutral rib cage stacked on top of a neutral pelvis. Um, and then we're making sure that there's no um, pronation at the wrist, no internal rotation um, from the shoulder, no extension, um, excessive extension from the spine with the neutral rib cage and neutral pelvis. So essentially this tells us like what range can we actively control the shoulder safely. And if we look at that range and we're like, okay, well, it's not that great, but you know, chin-ups are a good exercise. So let's just do chin-ups. Well, if you can't get your palm over your head actively while controlling this, like you might be able to hang into a chin-up, but it's going to look like shit. Like your wrists are going to kind of be like your kind of, your grip has to be adjusted so you can barely hold on to the the bar, your elbows are kind of spun out, which is not even a great position to train my lats. So now I'm just going to put more torque on my elbow. Um, I'm going to put unnecessary strain on my shoulders and then I'm just going to pull, right? Um, it's not going to look good. It's probably not going to feel good. And over time we see things like this where people start to complain about pain in their forearm or pain in their wrist or pain in their elbow. All of these things could have been mitigated if we just picked an exercise that we did have the range of motion for and then we scaled that one up over time so like let's say right now i've got 100 degrees of shoulder flexion and i want to get that higher well i'm not going to get higher by going higher i'm going to get higher by showing that i have the control at the upper end of my limit so i had 100 degrees train that then move that up so start by training at 100 degrees and then as we get better in that position, your body will actually open up range. And so now you've got 110. Then we can start working at 110. And you've got 120. Then you work at 120. But you don't get there by just jumping to 180. Okay? So that's the first way that your program is failing you. Uh, the second way that your program is failing you is the concept of progressive overload sounds like what you should be doing in order to get better is just add more weight and reps each week. But um, that is not, the principle is correct. The approach is incorrect. So most people just think every time they're going to come into the gym, they're going to make progress. And that is not a guarantee, right? Um, first of all, maybe you didn't push it that hard maybe you didn't necessarily do something that required your body to super compensate so you didn't create a, enough of a stimulus for you to even need to do more so your body's like yeah you're just gonna be the same as last week okay well then why are we going up in weight 
oh, because I can. Okay, well, in that case, maybe it was underwhelming before, and maybe this is the appropriate weight. But oftentimes, what we see happen is as people start to do these little micro progressions, there starts to be small and subtle shifts in their technique that then stray them further and further away from the appropriate form. And so what they were hoping to get from that exercise, they're no longer necessarily getting. Uh, for example, people who want their pecs to grow on certain pressing chest pressing movements end up start to use a lot more delts and triceps in order to get that done. Their delts and their triceps respond by growing, which is great for somebody who's just looking for overall development. Awesome. But if you're like, dude, my chest is lagging and my delts and my triceps just keep getting bigger. Well, chances are you're not putting tension on them. You're putting tension on the muscles that's stronger. You're leveraging those and those are growing. Sick for those muscles, but for the ones that you actually want to grow, those ones need to get the tension too, which means you need to keep the form and technique in place so that those can grow. So it's, I, I blame progressive overload. What it really needs to be and what Dr. Jordan Shallow has coined as progressive overstimulus. We want to make sure that we're constantly stimulating the muscle that we're attempting to grow and that that actually carries over into what would progressively overload the muscle. Okay, so that would be the second way. Uh, third thing is going to be, so I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of fall back on uh, technique um, so in some ways I know it kind of overlaps with that progressive overload, but technique, um, being that we're able to put the right muscle in the right position to, to create the appropriate amount of tension. So this goes from understanding a bit about physics. There's this thing called a moment arm. And when we're training, let's say I have a target muscle and there's a limb that's attached, and the further the weight is away from the muscle that I'm attempting to target, the less leverage that muscle has, and the greater the load has leverage over the muscle, right? Which is going to create more challenge. There's a balance between that. Like, we don't want it to be so, that that weight to have so much leverage that it we, we can't handle any load um, because we do want to be able to create tension. Um, but we don't want it to be so close in that we can leverage so much weight, but there's not that much like tension on the muscle. So it's going to be somewhere in the middle. We're going to try to keep a balance uh, so that we can create a mechanical advantage for the muscle that we're attempting to train, but also that we're making sure that we're not leveraging something or a different muscle instead uh, of that the, the target muscle. So if we pay attention to those things in that in our technique, other things that I would say go into our technique is like how um, basically patient we are as we're going through a certain position. So as we're training our chest, um, a lot of people don't even realize like they're not retracting their shoulders, right? And this is not necessarily about leveraging more weight because it's not a better position to leverage, but they're not retracting their shoulders as they're pressing so that they're they end up stop they stop getting movement at the shoulder blade and they're just getting movement at the humerus which is the upper arm 
So you get this kind of pointy looking shoulder as you get to the bottom of your press and then you push. Okay. Well, we didn't put a lot of good tension on many things and we didn't necessarily create a position that is going to be able to handle loads well consistently for a long period of time, which is what it's going to take to grow. So we have to pay attention to those things. I mean, the same things happen like when we're squatting, people end up resting on their lower back, kind of like they extend, they, they rock their pelvis forward, their, their back kind of arches and they've got this weight on it. And so now they're extended and then they try to get into the squat. And this goes with that er our earlier point, which was like movement matching and control, but like that technique and that execution is going to play a huge role in how well I'm actually able to get to depth. Now, in terms of technique and keeping it consistent, it, it's a redundancy from the latter point, but making sure that we are executing our technique so consistently that we actually are repeating something. It's not like 20 reps of a similar but different exercise, right? Like if, if I do one rep where my weight's all on my toes and then one rep where my weight's all on my heels and then I'm on the outside of my right foot, then on the outside of my left foot or whatever. If there's all this shifting, you've, you've effectively trained all those different positions versus how consistent is my form and technique. That's going to be more important. How consistent is my form and technique? Not how many reps did I do, right? Uh, the fourth way is not paying attention to tempo and not paying attention to range of motion. So in, in a lot of ways, people are, again, continuing to count these reps. They're continuing to count how much weight they're using, but how they're going about doing that, this execution changes. So we could probably lump all the technique and, but I want, I want to kind of go through these nuances, but it's into tempo but they could all be categorized under execution. If we look at how I'm going through this range of motion, if it takes me, like I'm doing a row, if I'm doing a row and it takes me 10 seconds for that whole rep, so it was two seconds to pull it, you know, two seconds to hold it, four seconds out and that two second pause at the end, well, if that's the way that I did it, then that's one rep. And so if one rep is 10 seconds and one rep is four seconds and one rep is seven seconds and one rep is five seconds and one rep is six seconds, you, you get what I'm saying? They're not all the same. Then how can we expect to know whether eight reps over here and 10 reps over here is the same thing? They're not. If I do all of my reps are eight seconds, all of them are eight seconds. Let's say two second pull, two second pause, two second eccentric, and a two second pause. Well, they're all eight seconds. Well, if they all take eight seconds and I do eight reps, then I progress to nine reps and they stay eight seconds. Then I know I've progressed, but there's a caveat here. Did I travel the same range of motion? Right, because I could 
spend more time in a shorter position. I could not row as far. I could not reach as far and still have it take eight seconds. And sure, there, there is a similar challenge there, but it's not the same challenge, right? So when I, we talk about execution and we talk about rep consistency in these things, it's how many of these things can we keep the same? How many of them are we intentional about? And for a lot of people, it's just like, yo, man, it's not that serious. Like, I just want to go to the gym. I just want to like let out some steam. I just want to like move some weight around. And I want to know that I'm making progress. And and I would say that there's a time and a place for that. And and you can make progress doing those things. But I, in the world of the fastest results possible, these things matter. In the world where you want to kind of guess if you're growing, then like, yeah, sure, spamming reps and spamming repetitions and little aches and pains here and there, but I'm moving faster, right? Versus moving deliberately, attacking essentially like a sniper and then moving on to our next target. That's what I feel like the difference is between like real training and just exercising, right? Because you can just exercise, which is totally fine. I'm not shitting on just exercising. And um, I just feel like in terms of getting a body that moves and performs well, feeling like you're at the top of your game. And when people talk about training like an athlete and all these things, like really being there, because like athletes have variability, right? So they're not going to be just in this one position, but we're going to train things. We're going to give them that variability, but we're going to do it with an understanding like, okay, we're actually improving the tolerance of this position instead of just being like, Ooh, over here, ooh, you want to, you want to be able to be consistent and you also want to be able to be variable. So there's benefits to both, but you want to understand when I am varying the position, it was with intent. It's not just a random variation. Uh, so just things to consider because what we know about injuries is a formula for injuries would be when the force applied is greater than tissue tolerance. You'll hear me say that probably a million times over the course of this podcast. When force applied is greater than tissue tolerance, it will result in injury. Simple as that. So yeah, training varied positions, great. Some positions just won't be as tolerant to loads. So just knowing that, um, but you can train its ability to be loaded just some aren't going to be as good at loading. So just that. Yeah. All right. Uh, and then five, uh, how you are compromising your failing, your program is failing you, uh, is recovery. Buzzword. <laughs> I'm not saying you need to go sit in a cryo chamber. I'm not saying you need to go sit in a sauna. I'm not saying you need to do percussion therapy, IV drips. These things might help to promote recovery. I would say from the basis of your program, uh, because a lot of people, they want to do more, uh, more and more and more and more and more, and they don't necessarily understand how things overlap. And there's just too much on the expenditure end and not enough on the recovery end. And so in an effort to either, you know, build muscle or burn body fat or what have you, people spend too much time leveraging the output when what we want to do is create effective stimulus and then recover. If we can do those two things and we can balance them well, then yeah, you're going to have some periods where you need to push a little bit harder and then recover 
at later periods, but it shouldn't be push, 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 break. You see how that wouldn't, that wouldn't feel, that wouldn't feel good. And it takes longer because that break is now going to be longer and you're going to have to go through longer periods of being understimulated just to get back to where you were in order to recover. So instead, focusing on how can I maximize the amount of stimulus? And I'm not saying you need, you know, 10 to 20 sets per muscle group per week, but we can generally tell from if, if we are making improvements in the gym that we don't necessarily probably need more sets or if we are recovering appropriately. Like if I don't feel like the amount of work that I'm doing is you know, providing enough of a challenge, then yes, we probably should do more work. But there's plenty of clients that I've had where we're coaching and we're only doing, you know, two to three days. And they're just like, you know, like, wow, that one really took, that last workout really took me out and took me a couple days to get back. Okay, well, maybe that one, too much. Maybe we could scale that back so we could up the frequency of their training because what they want to train is more frequently. You don't necessarily need to, you don't necessarily need to remove the total amount of work. It's maybe it just needs to be spaced out more effectively. So understanding my biometrics, if you will, how much sleep I'm getting, how well I'm sleeping, um, understanding when I am going throughout my day, do I just feel like a heavy sandbag? It feels like I'm dragging, you know, dragging ass after I'm training, then chances are we probably need to focus on recovery. And a a good way to do that is remove a certain amount of stimulus and spread it across more days. Cause maybe you, you don't train all that frequently, but when you do train, it's really hard. Well, if you can't afford to and do it more frequently, I'd say do that. But if that just won't work with your schedule, then then we probably have to maybe just slightly tone down the amount of work that you're doing so that you can keep up with that amount of work and it still provides an effective stimulus for you to recover from and um, continue training. So... Uh, all that without getting like really too technical and trying to break out spreadsheets and trying to figure all this stuff out. Cause I know like there can be a balance. Um, but as coaches, we need to, we need to know these things. We need to be paying attention to these things with our clients, but for athletes, um, that, you know, I know just want to go into the gym, you know, have a killer workout, but sometimes a killer workout is just like, you know, you were really buzzing mentally and you were really locked in on the form and technique and you'll see that it just goes so much further because I'll tell you a workout here. I know a workout is hard for somebody if we create a high cognitive demand. If I challenge you to sink more during your workout, you're going to be more exhausted. Okay, so that means on things where I don't have to think as much, I'm going to be less exhausted. They're going to be physically demanding, but you'll notice like, people won't work as hard on things that are just physically demanding as they are both cognitively, if it's also cognitively demanding. So when you learn how to apply a certain amount of effort when you're working more autonomously, when you don't have the cognitive drain, because it just it's just physically hard. But if you were to work as hard 
physically as you are mentally. Like when I teach somebody a new exercise, I'm like, hold this position, focus on this, do this thing. Like, oh my God, it's so hard. Well, that is one thing and it is draining you. Like after you're done, you're like, oh, I'm tired, but you're like, but I was only holding 10 pounds. Yeah, that thing probably isn't gonna necessarily stimulate the muscles, but you are exhausted because the brain was using a lot of energy. Now, on the flip side of that, when we're doing things that are physically exhausting, but they don't take a whole lot of mental energy, you just need to kind of buckle down and like go. And a lot of these times they're gonna be externally supported. You're on a machine, it's quite safe to push yourself. Do that, push yourself there, and then like really empty the tank. And, uh, and then after that, you have a workout that's worth recovering from. So A, when I say recovery, maybe what I should say is the balance, right? Is the stimulus to the amount of recovery. Cause some people go heavy on the stimulus, low on the recovery, not great. And some people go low on the stimulus and high on the recovery. Also not great. Like, yeah, sure. You're recovering from your training, but you're, you hardly did anything. So it almost doesn't matter. So effort needs to be there. So obviously we need to meet somewhere in the middle where we have a high amount of stimulus and a, a, appropriate amount of recovery right otherwise i mean even like a like a moderate to high moderate high high amount of stimulus balancing that kind of ebbing and flowing through our training if i'm noticing that i'm starting to feel incredibly lethargic or i lack motivation um or like i'm getting shit sleep like it's kind of a messed up cycle but as you overtrain yourself you can like jack up your sleep cycles which would then make it harder to recover from which then would make any training that you do harder to recover from and then you end up in this kind of perpetual cycle downward cycle what the best thing to do then is almost like pull off the gas from training just so you can like actually recover from it you come back you're like i feel great and then we hit it again so i hope this episode was sort of help- helpful um, so let me, let me just make sure that that was all five. So we've got, uh, first is movement matching. Then we have this idea of this progressive overload. We talked about execution, um, tempo time. And then we talked recovery. Oh, I, I think I owe you, I think I owe you a fifth one. God, this would help if I probably wrote this down. Uh, so if I had to do one more. Uh, inside of training, it's probably just general like redundancy of exercises. So you're doing things that are mostly in the same position. So like, let's say somebody's doing a chest press, they do a bench press, then they do a dumbbell bench press, and then they do a uh, chest press machine. And then they're doing a cable chest fly. So like, they're not really taking a muscle out of its, um, you know, mid range. So we have shortened mid and lengthened end ranges for muscles. We want to make sure that we're taking muscles through all of those positions and at varying angles of, uh, flexion or extension. So for my shoulder, I want to get things that are overhead. And I also want to get things that, you know, extend behind me a little bit so that I'm reaching. I want to get things where, um, my muscles are stretched. I want to get things where my muscles are squeezed. And a lot of people just kind of do these exercises where they're just in the middle and they're just working in the sagittal plane. They're not getting much rotation and they're not breaking 
into the frontal plane for the, so they're not moving sideways. So everything is kind of redundant. And so we can, we can limit redundancy by having some um, variation in our training. Uh, some, yeah. There are boring basics, right? I do believe in like uh, dips and chin-ups and pull-ups great because I get extension of the shoulder and I get flexion of the shoulder. I'm working my lats, I'm working my pecs, I'm working my triceps. So those are great um, to ensure that I'm getting full excursion of my shoulders. And then if we're, you know, talking the hip, if we're talking about, you know, some sort of step up or lunge, um, if we're talking about some sort of hinge, like a RDL, things that maximize those ranges, uh, think maybe a lateral lunge, things that take me out of the sagittal plane into the frontal plane, moving into the transverse plane. So we're rotating some limiting redundancies there. So like if everything I'm doing is just in one position, if I'm doing squats and then I'm doing leg presses and I'm doing goblet squats for some reason after that, and then, you know, what have you, it's redundant. It's you're, you're stimulating the same position over and over and over again, versus if you would have taken it to the house on one of those, then you wouldn't likely need it the other ones as much. Uh, um, so all that to say that I, I would say that that's the last thing is just limiting redundancy in training. Uh, those are probably the top five. There are more mistakes that we could dive into, but we're going to keep this one to 30 minutes. If you like the episode, be sure to like the episode. If not, you know, let me know, let me know how we can improve. I'd be happy to do that. Any guests that you'd like me to have on, let me know any questions, send them to me at steven at davisfitnessmethod.com. And I really appreciate you being along for the ride. I'll catch you on the next one.